0: Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to share about a controversial passage on Paul's thorn in the flesh. And, uh, you know, the Bible teaches healing is God's will. Before man sinned, everything was good. There was no sickness, because sickness is part of the curse that came in because of the sin. Because of sin. Uh, but in Exodus 15, God declared that he is our healer, Jehovah Raphae. That's one of the redemptive names of God. That's his name, his unchanging nature. He declared that his will was to heal his people. And then later he said in Exodus 23, You will serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take away sickness from the midst of you, and I will fulfill the number of your days. And the Old Testament has many pictures and prophecies of how God would fulfill his promise to save us and redeem us from the curse through the Messiah. Uh, For example, in Exodus 15, when God declared himself as our healer, he revealed how he would do that. He told Moses to cast the tree into the bitter waters and they were made sweet. And and this was a a demonstration that God is going to manifest himself to us as our healer by healing the bitter waters of humanity by means of a tree. And of course, that's talking about the cross. It's speaking about the coming Messiah, Christ, who would come and identify with us and take our sins and our sicknesses on his body on the tree. He would take the bitterness of sickness on himself and release the sweetness of healing power to us. And that's uh, sorry, 1 Peter 2.24 says, himself, Jesus, took our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live to righteousness by whose stripes you were healed and isaiah 53 prophesied that the messiah would die as for us as a sacrifice and carry our sins and our sicknesses so that we might be forgiven and healed It says, surely he's borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. The chastisement for our peace, our shalom, our wholeness was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. And when Jesus came, he demonstrated God's will by healing all who came to him. Matthew 8 says, he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled. Which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Acts 10 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, healing power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And then Jesus died on the cross, taking the full curse of our sin and sickness on himself, and he did it for us. As Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham, that includes healing, might come on the Gentiles, on us, in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so Jesus took the curse of sickness so that we might have the blessing of healing. And so we know from the atonement that healing must be God's will for his people. We know that Jesus died for our sins... Uh, And so forgiveness of sins is in the atonement, and therefore we know that it's God's will to forgive and save us, because he died for all of us. Likewise, we know that Jesus died for our sicknesses, so healing must be in the atonement. Therefore, it must be God's will to heal us, because what Jesus did on the cross, he did for all of us. However... What I've found is that whenever you try and build people's faith uh, to receive healing, one objection is used more than any other to keep people in unbelief uh, concerning God's will to heal them. And that's Paul's thorn in the flesh. And that's what we're going to look at today. Let's see how this passage is misinterpreted to contradict and discourage people from receiving healing. Uh, and then we'll, we'll look at the traditional view and then we'll look at to see what it actually is means. Let's look at this passage. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just read that. Uh, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, says Paul, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing, this thorn. I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities or weakness that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Now, the traditional interpretation is that Paul's thorn was a sickness sent by God to keep him from getting into pride because of the great revelations he had received from the Lord. And when he asked God to remove this sickness and heal him, God basically said no. But instead, God said, I'll give you the grace to endure this sickness. And if it's true, then clearly, if it was not God's will to heal the great apostle Paul, then it's not necessarily God's will to heal us. This interpretation not only undermines our faith and confidence in the Lord as our healer, But also it creates a problem of the Bible contradicting itself because there are many places in the Bible where God promises us healing. And worse than that still, it says that God is the author of sickness because God gave Paul this thorn in the first place, as well as refusing to remove it. So as we look at the passage in the context, we must ask the question, what is Paul's thorn? And secondly, where did it come from? Did it come from God or did it come from Satan? Let's look at verse 7 again. It says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So this reveals that the purpose for which this thorn was given to Paul was so that he would not be exalted above measure. Now, the question here is Does this refer to a sinful exaltation where Paul is exalting himself in pride, or does it refer to a blessed exaltation where God is exalting Paul and his ministry so that more and more people will hear the gospel and receive the truth of God through him? For example, there are good exaltations, of course. God exalted Joshua in the sight of, of his people. Uh, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There is a godly way of being exalted. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So those who humble themselves before God will be exalted by God. Now, from the point of view of the Greek language, when it says, lest I be exalted above measure, both interpretations are possible. Uh, If for number one, if it means that Paul was in danger of exalting himself, then it follows that the thorn was given by God to Paul to keep him humble, because only God would want to keep him humble not not Satan. But secondly, if God was the one who was exalting Paul and his ministry through giving him these revelations, then it must be God's enemy, Satan, who gave Paul this thorn in order to prevent this exaltation. Well, this issue is easily settled in the, in the very same verse because Paul tells us exactly where this thorn came from and what it was. Remember it says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. This tells us plainly that the thorn came from Satan. It was a messenger from Satan. It did not come from God. In other words, this is not speaking of Paul exalting himself through pride, but rather the thorn came from Satan to keep Paul in his ministry from being exalted by God in the eyes of many people. Satan wanted to hinder the increase of Paul's ministry and even stop it because he was speaking the Word of God. So he sent this messenger of Satan to buffet Paul wherever he went so people could not hear the true gospel which he preached. The thorn was personally sent by Satan to impede Paul from making an even greater impact with his ministry. And when it says exalted beyond measure, the, the word exalted is from the Greek hooper uh, That arrow is to lift up, to raise, to be exalted. "Hooper" means above, beyond, unsurpassed, unequaled, unrivaled. And so this is a person who has been magnified, increased, lifted up to a place of great prestige and influence in, in a very special way. And this accurately describes the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He was given a very special uh, ministry uh, by God to accomplish his will. And Paul also talks about the abundance of the revelations that God gave him. He talks about the, that the word, and this word abundance is hooper ballo, which is the same word, hooper, beyond, beyond unequaled. Uh, and ballo means to throw, to throw beyond. And so this describes something extraordinary, unparalleled, unmatched. So these revelations that Paul had were unparalleled. They were in quality and also they went beyond anything which others had received. And the word revelation is the word apokalupsis, where we get the word apocalypse. It refers to something that has, was hidden or veiled behind a curtain. And then suddenly the curtain is removed and it becomes clear and visible to the eye, to the mind. It's like pulling a curtain out the way so that you can see what's been there all the time. God, you see, had pulled the curtain back and shown Paul an abundance of these revelations beyond any other man which is why he was called to write a big part of the New Testament. Everywhere he went, he preached what God had revealed to him. And as he preached, his power, his authority, his fame began to grow greater and greater, giving him greater and greater opportunity to impact the world with the gospel of Jesus. So it's a good thing. This exaltation was a good thing. God was exalting his ministry, and he was becoming one of the most influential men of the day. The revelations God gave him also were about to change the course of human history. And therefore, Satan, understandably, was alarmed by the great pro- you know, progress that the apostle Paul was making with the gospel, and so he launched a full-scale attack to stop his progress. He didn't want Paul's ministry and influence to keep growing and increasing. Instead, he wanted to pull him down, he wanted to weaken him, discourage him, ruin him, discredit the message that he preached. And since there was no moral flaw in Paul that he could use to destroy him, Satan inflicted Paul with a thorn in the flesh. Now, let's discuss what this thorn in the flesh was. It was clearly not a literal thorn in the flesh, because then Paul would not pray for God to remove it but he would pull it out himself or get someone to remove it. It clearly is a figure of speech describing something extremely painful and annoying that was a constant source of uh, irritation. And some suggest the words in the flesh means it refers to a physical sickness like malaria or epilepsy or or eye disease, but that's just speculation. There is no basis of this from the other scriptures. In fact, we'll see from the Bible itself that it does not refer to a sickness. Instead of referring to sickness, the words in the flesh describe something sent to impede his progress and to buffet him, manifesting in blows against his flesh to wear him down and make him feel weak, causing him personal distress over and over again. The idea that God sent this thorn to humble him is contradicted by his own description of the thorn. It says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. You see, if this thorn came from God, God he would have called it a messenger of God. But the messenger is a messenger of Satan. This word messenger is angelos, which is the word usually translated as angel. And it should have been translated as angel. It it means one who is sent on a special mission to perform a specific assignment. This messenger of Satan was actually one of Satan's angels, top angels, I'm sure, sent directly from Satan himself to buffet Paul and restrict the progress of his ministry and prevent him to take the gospel further and further into the world. The word messenger always refers here, angelos, to a created being. So this thorn is not a thing, but rather it's, it's a personality. It's an angel of Satan. So he sent one of his top angels to stir up trouble against Paul, to create disturbances, um, to buffet the apostle. That's where wherever Paul went, there were riots. The people were stirred up against him. The word buffet is the word kalaphitzel. Uh, And that is to do with the referring to beatings with the fist, repeated beatings with the fist. The Greek tense means a continuous, unrelenting beating, uh, buffeting. It's to strike repeatedly as waves buffet the shore. And so this describes not just a single event or a single something, but an ongoing series of many events. So how did this angel attack and continually strike Paul? The, the Bible gives us this answer in three ways. Firstly, we know from the book of Acts, Paul's ministry was uh, endured many afflictions because of all the persecutions he faced, especially from the Jewish religious leaders. They hated him and his message, and they fiercely opposed him. Wherever he went, they stirred up mobs to resist and attack him. And so this is how the angel of Satan operated by constantly stirring up opposition and persecution against Paul. And although it looked like it was flesh and blood opposing him, Paul understood that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of the age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness you see, in the heavenly places. And so Paul's thorn was an angel of Satan, assigned to continually stir up trouble and persecution against him. And that's also confirmed by the immediate context. In the previous verses, in 1 Corinthians 11, he describes some of these buffetings that he received against his flesh that were caused by the spiritual power. He says, in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often from the Jews. Five times I received seventy, sorry, forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You see, this describes all the different buffetings in the flesh that Paul received as the result of the messenger of Satan assigned to him. These physical sufferings from Satan's attacks are what Paul means by his thorn in the flesh. The context tells us what it is. So Paul so 1 Corinthians 11 ends with Paul describing all these troubles that he'd received in the flesh, uh, these persecutions, imprisonments, stripes, shipwrecks and stonings. But none of them speak about a sickness. So when he referred to the thorn in the flesh in in the next chapter, the context tells us he was referring to the constant persecutions by people who were stirred up by this angel of Satan to harass discourage and weaken him, so that he'd just quit. And again, notice Paul did not add any sickness into this list, so there's no basis for saying that Paul's thorn was a sickness. And this is confirmed by the way the same figure of speech is used uh, in other verses in the Bible, because the Bible interprets the Bible. For instance, Numbers thirty-three, fifty-five. 55. God says, if you don't drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain will be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, in your flesh, and they will harass you in the land where you dwell. Notice it's people. Joshua twenty-three thirteen. the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Judges two three. Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. I want you to notice in all these scriptures the the thorns in the flesh are not sicknesses, but wicked people used by Satan to oppose God's people. These, in this case, it's the idol worship Canaanites who resisted the progress of God's people as they were possessing their promised land. No doubt they were assisted by Satan, because he wanted to use them to corrupt the Israelites with their false worship of false gods. So that settles the issue, doesn't it? It proves that it, Paul's thorn is not a sickness, but the, rather the constant waves of opposition by Satan's agents, both human and demonic, sent against Paul to buffet and harass him, and hinder his progress with the gospel, and it was all orchestrated by an angel uh, of Satan, uh, stirring up people, so that they were hated. Paul, and uh, and again he tried to stop the advancement of the gospel through Paul. Satan couldn't compromise Paul morally or spiritually. He had to tack his progress in the area of the flesh, through physical persecutions, which Paul said were like being hit-punched again and again, um, Harris, constant harassment to make his life difficult. And these were people were the thorn in the flesh, as it were. We have a similar phrase in English, which is such and such is a pain in the neck, you see, thorn in the flesh. Well, the general effect of these buffetings was to inflict pain and hardship on Paul in his flesh so that he would feel weak. And that's a key word in this passage. He speaks about his weakness a number of times in this passage. It's the Greek word athsenia, athsenia, which is translated, unfortunately, sometimes as infirmities as well as weakness. And because of this word infirmity, some try and say, there you go, sickness, But as we see in the context of the passage, this word, Athenia, talks about the suffering of weariness, weakness, pain, as a result of his persecutions. And so it's talking about weakness, feeling weak, being aware of his lack, of his inadequacy. And so it should have been consistently translated weakness rather than sometimes weakness, sometimes infirmities. So let's let's have a look at this passage again. You see, after he describes his various persecutions in one Corinthians eleven twenty nine, he says, "Who is not who is weak? Am I, and I am not weak? If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. That's my weakness. That is the things that make me aware of my weakness." Uh, and then this is the similar phrase to what he uses a few verses later when he's talking about the thorn. Most gladly, he says, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that is, in my weakness. Clearly, the infirmity he's talking about in relation to the thorn in the flesh refers to his awareness of his weakness and need in the face of all these persecutions. Let's look at our passage again, uh, looking at verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul asked the Lord to remove this persecution from him, not the sickness, because he wasn't sick. And and God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Notice God was not refusing to heal Paul from a sickness, as that wasn't the problem here. Christ has redeemed us from sickness, so it's always his will to heal us. But he hasn't redeemed us from persecution. Paul said in 2 Timothy, all that live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. So the Lord told him that the grace, his grace was sufficient to strengthen his soul and his body to endure these persecutions. He didn't promise they would stop but that God's power would be present to fill him and give him the victory over these attacks. In addition, he told him, my strength, that's my dunamis, my power, imparted through this grace, is made perfect in weakness. This means God will work the persecutions for good because they deepen Paul's awareness of his weakness and his need for God's grace, strength and power. So this in turn would cause Paul to turn to God more and more by faith and lay hold of his power that was available through the Holy Spirit within him. As a result, God's power and grace was more fully released in, in Paul's life and ministry. So in other words, these trials designed by Satan to stop him actually resulted in a greater release of power in Paul's ministry to the glory of God. And then he goes on and says, therefore, because of this greater release of grace and power, when he's aware of his weakness and his dependence on God, he says, therefore, most gladly I would rather boast and rejoice in my infirmities, that is, in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, weaknesses, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, when I'm weak in the flesh, then I am strong, strong in the Spirit. You see, he learned to rejoice in, in, in the things that made him aware of his weakness because then he could lay hold of God's power in a greater way. And notice again, these the description of these infirmities does not include sickness. Well, one scripture that... that people use to, to try and say it was a sickness, is Galatians 4, where Paul says, You know that because of physical infirmity, it's the same word asthenia, I preached the gospel to you at the first. I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And from this people claim that this thorn in the flesh was an eye disease. But notice he was writing to the Galatians. And in Acts 14, when he was preaching the gospel in Galatia at Lystra, he was stoned to death. That's, And this is when he left his body and went to heaven. And he talks about that in, chapter, in 2 Corinthians. He says, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, um, and that's 14 years before he wrote 2 Corinthians, he was caught up to the third heaven, he was caught up into paradise. You see... And then he was raised from the dead when the brethren prayed for him. And the next day, Paul worked into Darby, another city in Galatia, and began preaching to them. He obviously had puffy, runny eyes, multiple cuts and bruises, having been stoned to death. And they were not the result of a disease. They were the result of being stoned. And this is a classic example of the increase of God's grace through his weakness that he talked about. Because number one, through this Stoning, which was an example of the thorn in the flesh, God's power was released in a greater way. He gave him an experience of heaven's glory. He raised him up from the dead physically as a sign to the Galatians of, his, of the truth of the gospel. And, God, and then he empowered him to walk 20 miles the next day to preach again, again demonstrating God's healing power and strength in him. God didn't stop the persecution but he gave him the grace to overcome and and got work it for good and so God saw God's glory through Paul you know perhaps you are going through circumstances that make you aware of your weakness see it as an opportunity to experience God's strength and uh, in you and through you rejoice that God's mighty power is at work in you and that he will work all things together for his glory and for your good in your weakness turn to God surrender to him and call on his grace to strengthen you and empower you and you will discover that his power is made perfect in your weakness and that when you're weak in yourself then you are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might God bless you join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, 0x37QH where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086